They said, do you have any gigs coming up? I said, yeah, we're actually playing at the Waverly Library Sausage Sizzle. <laughs> and, um, they sent Steve Pav along, who was, you know, the sort of basically ended up like discovering me and like discovered like Wolf Mother and the Avalanches and all that. And he, okay. it was just our school friends sitting at this sausage sizzle and Steve Pav sitting in the middle. And then he came up to us after and he said, uh, do you want to support Sonic Youth? And wow. um, Okay, let's go. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Community Notice Board Podcast, a podcast about suburbs we grew up in, local landmarks, hometown heroes, and coming-of-age tales. Oh, boy, do we have a special guest today. We have musician Ben Lee here to talk about Bondi. How are you, Ben? I'm doing good. Thank you for having me. Oh, thank you so much for coming down. Yeah. And so you, you grew up in Bondi, or was it North Bondi? Yeah, I um. So where I grew up was, you know, where the golf course is, where the big sewage pipe is. Yep. So I was on the first street, uh, Wentworth Street, the first street past the golf course. So we actually had a few times during my childhood a golf ball come through the glass into our living room. Shit. Um, oh. <laughs> and we we thought it was a, a bullet. Um, <laughs> it's quite a drive-by, you know. Yeah, which you know, I think that in some ways just set me up for a generally adversarial relationship with um, my community uh, later <laughs> on. But um, but no, so yeah, that's you know, it's interesting that whole. I mean, this I think really did form my personality in the sense that where I grew up is it's pretty whether that's North Bondi or Dover Heights. Yep. is pretty um, debatable. Mm. Um, and in a sense, that it formed so much of the way I think about moving in the world that, like, um, you know, like, you can roll uptown or downtown. And yeah, then to yeah, some, yeah. like, in Dover Heights, we would have been the poorest people. Yeah. And in Bondi, the richest. Yeah, and it's yeah, kind yeah. of like, and that that sort of, it, it was like that in my school. And it was like, and you know, Bondi was so different then. But my parents bought that property in um, the 60s, which was soon enough after World War II that no one wanted to live on the cliffs because they thought if the Japanese ever attack, uh, those houses would be vulnerable. So they were yeah. like dirt cheap. So it was oh, just wow. a whole different experience back then being in the, on the, the cliffs in the eastern suburbs. Jeez, oh, yeah. so imagine the people who forego that. Like, no, 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 that's going to be a bad investment. Those cliff houses are going to be <laughs> worth nothing in the future. Let's down here next to the sewage pipe or whatever is going to be. And so you were, uh, so you, and like Bondi's, you know, I don't know, like Bondi is sort of just the beach. Like everyone just thinks of the beach. You obviously like, you're not a you're not a surfer, right? You're a musician, I did you're surf. an guy. I did surf you, when you, I was a kid. Yeah, yeah, right. So you 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 sort of indulge in that as well, the beach side. Yeah, I mean, it was a huge of part of. I mean, honestly, like when I think about how did I spend my childhood, it was mm. eating hot chips on the beach. Like yeah. that was sort of all you did, and it glorious. was glorious. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and my I, when I started trying to get a little bit healthier, I realized a balanced diet was adding orange juice. Um, and that basically I still somewhere in my mind I still think hot chips and orange juice are a totally balanced diet (laughs) just add another colour yeah Yeah. but yeah but but yeah it was you know it was just such a different place and my my dad was actually on the local council on Waverley Council so his he had relationships with um, 
or and you know Labour Party in the eighties was like it really was like the People's Party mm. a little bit more. So he had these relationships with like the Maori biker gangs that would hang out at the Bondi Hotel and like mm. dealing pot like from the the bar at the back there and mm. just not my dad the the, the biker <laughs> and, um, We're all and you know lots man. of like lots of lots of like pulling up the car and him going just got to say hi to some of the guys and leaving me sitting in the car while he went into the Bondi Hotel for half an hour um, <laughs> you know just it was just a different a different time. It explains yeah. why you thought the golf ball was a bullet driving Bondi. That's the thing that people don't know about Bondi, that it actually did feel kind of a little like, I don't know if seedy is the term, but like edgy. Yeah, you know what yeah. I mean? Like it, yes. had, it had an edgier quality for sure than it does now. Yeah, mm. yeah, right. You are, Yeah, that was like one thing in the research I did find is just like how much the character seems to have changed now. Because you think of Bondi now, it's just British backpackers, right? And for sure. rich people. You can't do but an look, office a big job thing... without running into some British backpacker who lives in Bondi. <laughs> mm. It's impossible. And, and when was the last time someone stepped on a syringe? Like, my whole childhood, <laughs> that was the thing you were worried about, stepping on a syringe from Bondi Beach. Yeah. And I never hear anyone mention that anymore. Yeah. I believe that was even a plot line in Home and Away at some point. That's how prevalent that sort. And I was like, there are things that you're scared of in the 90s and 2000s, and that was definitely one of them. Ah, oh, stepping on a syringe. Absolutely. Terrible. Like, I, I still, yeah, I do have some fear of stepping on syringes. Um, yeah. It's the perfect it's... time for them to make a comeback now that it's receded <laughs> in our national memory. <laughs> um, you, you mentioned yeah. your, your dad being on the council, and that was one of the things I wanted to talk about that I found in my research was this sort of long history with the council there and their relationship with the, um, the bikini and swimwear in general. So I, in 1907, there were all these riots across... Um, or protests really across Bondi Beach because the council were trying to bring in these regulations on how men were able to dress on the beach. And um, basically all the blokes in the in the area flocked down to the beach just wearing their like wife's frocks as like a, you know, fuck you to the council because mm. this was the attire that they were um, going to be forced to wear. So it was described as a combination consisting of a Guernsey with trouser legs and reaching from the near elbow to the bend of the knee, together with a skirt, not unsightly, uh, but simply attached to the garment and uh, covering the figure below the hips to the knee. So this is for male attire? For, for male attire. So that, and it looks like armor. Trendy. Like, <laughs> at, the, like, at the beach? At the beach. It's insane. Jesus Christ. And that obviously, that was like 1907. By the time the 60s, 50s and 60s roll around and the bikini becomes the hot new trend, they had what what are today like the the lifeguards were were um, they would walk around with tape measures, and literally if your bikini was three inches, you know below, like the thickness was was below three inches, yeah. you get booted off the beach, Jeez. and that was like this. In, there was this dude <laughs> called Orb Blade Law, which is the biggest fucking Bob Bob Law name I've ever <laughs> like such a mouthful. But this dude was like super famous. Because he was like the head, he was like the the um yeah the head bloke, and he'd walk around. There's all these pictures of him, um, of I'll show you this guy. Like it's insane because he's just he's not a good looking dude, and he's there. <laughs> Be alright if he was a looker, right? 
frowning at this woman like just like all right lady you're one unsightly figure you know get off this fucking beach so in a way we're dealing with the original female body inspector now they're doing with a tape measure at bondo beach to keep everyone one and a half meters apart you know that's the whole bondo beach thing right now (laughs) and this um i found like you know there was all all these articles about how it eventually sort of uh, ended, but he um, there were there were suggestions from the council because they they didn't know what what to do, and eventually they just made it so vague that it was unenforceable. It was like I don't know if it's still in the books, but in '61 they changed it to like you have to be dressed reasonably, mm-hmm. and I think I think you can still like technically be fined if you like you know topless baby or whatever, or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah 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 but at one wait, point wait, can you you can technically be fined for a I think so, but woman yeah but they're very huh. they just don't enforce it because it's just like who could be bothered yeah hmm. um but this was this was in the 60s i think this was in 61 when they were trying to find a workaround this was a suggestion from another councilman so uh, later that year a novel solution to the bikini problem was proposed by waverley councilman uh jay einfield his suggestion was that women wearing two-piece swimsuits parade before members of the Waverley Council and that aldermen could then judge if the bikinis were decent. Fucking hell. What a fucking time. Insane. Yeah, that's. I mean, the beach used to be just where people would picnic and you'd go down and you like, there's old photos of the 20s and 10s where people were dressed because it was like a mm. lake. It was like going to the lake, right? You wouldn't swim. You'd just sit on the sands and stuff. And then... That's and then they built like people started bathing and then there was all this like push to say we need somewhere to change and then that's when there was a, the push to build eventually the Bondi Pavilion which Ben I know you had a bit of a I saw a video on your line of you sort of you know uh, telling about your history of the Bondi Pavilion wanting to save it and so you know I think people were trying to knock it down or turn it into apartments or whatever they were trying to yeah. do but that that was your history there and I think you said you went to clown school there and uh, stuff like I that. I mean I went to pottery classes I went to a clown school I mean that was like the community center so yeah every school holidays and then I ended up um I actually had my bar mitzvah square dance upstairs oh, cool. in the seagull room um, <laughs> square dance and, yeah square is dance is that a themed. traditional Yiddish yeah uh, yeah it's a very the Jewish look I already had a pension for psychedelic Jewish cowboys um, I was like <laughs> that is my spirit you know um, and uh, and um, and then in that same room my band Noise Addict played our last ever show um, oh wow when in 90 the beginning of 96 so yeah, I mean it's like a it's a deep. My my first electric guitar got stolen from a gig at that pavilion. Um, uh-huh. So yeah, I've, I go deep with that place. Damn. So you were and and you were in that band when you were like fourteen or something. Yeah, right? yeah, fourteen. Damn. Mm. That would and it's still pretty... so it is still there. You you efforts with you know yeah the yeah, I mean I think they've managed to um they've managed to keep things at bay like do a bit of refurbishments without. You know, it's just, it, it is, I, I sort of, from a purely capitalist perspective, I do understand it is prime real estate and they're like, mm, yeah. it's not generating enough money. We should have shop more shops and tourist things and whatever. But, but I think community spaces in general are really important. Mm. And mm. it's been interesting. You know, I've spent a lot of time living in the US and beaches are so privatized there. Um, if you buy beachfront property, it can often come with like private access to a beach and, 
people think it's quite utopian when I describe that, like, in Australia, basically all beaches are community property. Yeah. Um, it's just not... The, the idea of privatizing them is, like, an absurdity. I mean, I'm sure it happens in various places, but mm. basically they're, like, the beach in Sydney is a bit like the subway in New York. Like, mm-hmm. whoever you are, you're mm-hmm. on it. It's an equalizer. Mm-hmm. And I think that's Watch still... out for syringes. Yeah, we're all watching out for syringes. <laughs> and, um, you know, I still think that's true. I, yeah. I, I did read that Bondi at one point, way, you know, way, way back, like 1800s, was somebody's private beach. They built this thing and they, they it was their land and they would let people come on. But it became so popular that... The whoever owned the land started being like, oh, I don't want all these people here. And they threatened to cut it off. And then the council stepped in and were like, no, nah, it's our beach now. Wow. Yeah, the so, tide's yeah. turned. I reckon because so, that, that's like a thing where you'd see somebody, you know, someone has a private beach, like you were saying, like that would just like, that would be a, a current affair episode of this guy's <laughs> trying to stop people. Even if it wasn't Bondi, it was a small little beach somewhere else. Like that, it's so, it's so against the spirit of us to have your own beach. And I, I know what you mean though, that there's nothing like, you know, if you had your own backyard and well, people were like, we should be allowed to go there. But for some reason, we treat the beach as everybody's area, which I think is great. Like you Well, say. the real moral of that story is, you know, give them an inch, they'll take a mile. It's better mm. not to share at all yeah, 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 <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, at yeah. the risk of people making assumptions, you know. Yeah, I mean, the beach was a constant. It was like, like I still, for me, um, especially throughout, you know, lockdown and stuff, like, if there's any chance to just like jump in the ocean for one minute, I find mm. it, it's like redemptive, you know, yeah. like whatever else yeah. is going. I mean, it's funny. I was, uh, when we got back, you know, cause we came out from LA in uh, December and we went straight down to the beach and um, Bondi is the, it's actually quite an unpredictable uh ocean like the rhythm of it is you know like some beaches are very consistent Mm. with the way the waves roll in or anything bondi is like it's quite radical like some days it can be like absolutely massive and and with big sandbanks and stuff and other times almost flat and i i walked into it and i just i I, it was almost like moby dick like i looked and i was like i've been reckoning with you for 42 years like it's it's the the type of relationship you have with an ocean when you grow up by one by a beach is like it's pretty hardcore you know like it really is like reminds you of how small you are yeah and um it's very humbling i Mm. i I don't know and so you said you surfed as a kid like i grew up in newcastle which is real beachy and my dad had surfed before and i I could never figure out how to surf. I was so bad at it. But, and I just remember getting dumped, you know, like physically the ocean dumping, obviously, like, and just having water up my nose and just hating the beach and just feeling so, like, just defeated by it, you know, like the waves. And then eventually one day, it just, but you just have to go out there and just be like, oh, God, I'm at the beach. And then one day figuring out how to body surf. And the moment you could, like, figure out how to catch a wave at a little bit, and then you just felt so. Like you just solved the, the puzzle of it and it was so, you know, it just changed you. Did you have that trouble when you were trying to surf as well or did you just pick it up straight away? Oh, no, I mean, it's like, it's, you're awful when you start. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I pretty much, I didn't last that long with it because what I realized pretty quickly was the people that got good did it through winter. There was no, there was just no question. Like there were the people that surfed when the weather was nice. And then there were people that surfed. (laughs) And 
especially once I discovered music, I was like, okay, this is the moment where it's like, I don't know if I've got what it takes to be that guy that's going to be out there in a wetsuit in the freezing cold. Have you seen someone like I've gone, you know, you see him in the morning, like you went up for a surf at 4am and you're like, what are you doing to yourself? Like that's, I was in bed. I didn't want to get out of bed. That Like people have this, there's, you're right. There's these insane people who just can do it at any point. At, yeah. at all well, yeah and that's like the, yeah. that's the point of the the icebergs club as well right you, like to be a member of this club you have to swim in winter at least like x number of times per month yeah just to be like you know prove yourself in the cold or the water yeah that place so that's where we used to do um pe when we did swimming we did it in the icebergs and mm. um which is like pretty hectic when you realize like you're bringing like a bunch of 10 year olds into like the waves crash over into that sometimes yeah. and these kids you know they're like but i remember we had to do like some life-saving thing where we had to go in in a full tracksuit and oh, yeah. um tread water for two minutes or something and you go mm. like that is almost child abuse now yes. like i am not sure <laughs> if uh, a school would get away with that <laughs> not, not a chance i that, hated I've never, um, surf life-saving when i was a kid and those those tracksuit ones where you go down for two minutes you better believe i'm jumping in I'm straight down to the bottom of the pool being fished out by an adult. Like, <laughs> With quickly. a little net and a scoop. Just yeah. Getting yeah, you're like, I'll wanted... volunteer for the recipient end of the CPR. <laughs> <Yeah. program." laughs> one of the chubbier kids at school, one of the only ones wearing a rash shirt at all times, being like, yeah, I'm just unconscious. You know? oh, <laughs> and what about when you have swollen nipples for the guys, yeah. when you're just going into puberty? Yeah. And, like oh. you're down at the beach for swimming and standing like with your arms folded, but like yeah. your nipples are hurting. And, it's, and, and guys never talk about that part of puberty too so it's like we're all standing there with just these painful nipples like not not admitting it to each other just rubbing them (laughs) and all the girls as well because obviously at our school like we had to it was the one piece and when you're like 16 you don't want to wear like a one piece so they're like bringing their own bikini tops rolling it down as much as possible so they've got like the one piece is just the bottoms and they've got a bikini top meanwhile I'm trying to get a rash shirt to cover my entire body head to toe maybe be in like a glass Pope mobile sort of thing so no one can see me um, I've never I've never swam in Bondi but I've swam at a few of the beaches and you're so right about like just the changing temperaments of the different beaches and I remember when I first moved to Sydney, we went down to Coogee and I, I didn't realize like the waves down there break so, so close to the beach and, it, and the kind of drop is quite sudden. So I was kind of fighting my way into the water and I'm just getting like hammered by these waves and, I, and I'm probably waist deep and I'm like struggling and sort of thinking like, man, I must be way out here. And I turn around and like, there was like a girl building a sandcastle like <laughs> there. You know? I could have reached out and knocked it over and I'm going, oh, Jesus, I'm struggling. <laughs> I thought I was going to drown. shooting a flare in the air. <laughs> yeah, I, almost, I almost shot the hand up. You know what's cool? Um, so my daughter is going to be 12 this week and she was having a bunch of surf lessons um, last summer, over the summer, and it was like 80% girls surfing. And when I was growing up, it was all guys. There would be like one girl in there. And um, it's just so cool seeing how, because I think the whole thing about this relationship to the ocean, which is actually dangerous, Mm. it's one of the few dangerous things we still let children do. Yeah. Um, Yeah. And there's something about like, there's a very old fashioned type of parenting where like your kid gets absolutely smashed and comes out like with like, 
grazed nose yeah, and like the whole yeah. thing and you go like good on you pull up your socks let's get back in yeah, there. It's like, yeah. there's so few areas you're still allowed to do that as a parent in like go come on so it's part of the you know it's character building it seems yeah because if they were playing footy and kept getting smashed on their head you'd be like all right this is not good you know <laughs> if there was another human doing it because it's the ocean for some reason it's yeah. like oh this is just part of parcel of everything that's kind like, of the point yeah. of the beach when you're little right if you're going in the water you just you're not really body surfing you're doing feats of strength against the waves yes. i remember one time i was in portugal and i had the very unfortunate like sitcom-esque like wave came and i was like i'm gonna get i was with like three of my friends i was like i'm gonna get hit by this one guys got hit popped up my swimming shorts vroom, are going very fast into the deep ocean i had to send someone i had to send an adult to go get them back for me they just right off my little body i'm naked in there eight years old just kind of treading water for a little bit being like ah, i can't come out <laughs> oh boy yeah. Um, I found so... someone, a more recent character that everyone might know because if you've gone down to Bondi, apparently you've seen him. His name, he's so ubiquitous. His name is, in fact, his nickname is Mr. Bondi, otherwise known mm. as Dmitry Moscovich. And uh, yeah. he's known for daily feats of strength and muscular out exploits at the North Bondi Outdoor Gym. Very famous for rocking up there almost every day in a bright red Speedo. That's his okay. thing. He's a big, like, 50-year-old Russian man, red speedo there every day. And he, uh, has, he's gone viral a couple of times because uh, in 2015, on state election day, he was photographed and plastered all over social media submitting a vote at the Bondi Surf Clubhouse in his red speedo. And mm. uh, it, so the article from the Daily Telegraph says, did anyone ask him to cover up, maybe wrap a towel around himself? Who would try to stop Dimitri? He laughed, which I love. <laughs> and so he's got he got a photograph filling it in. He went viral, and it was everywhere for a minute. And so everyone on Facebook was like, "Who's from Bondi?" I was like, "Yeah, that's fucking Mr. Bondi. That's Dimitri." And he said uh, he was quite pleased by the response that a lot of people knew him, but that you know he wasn't making a big deal of it. This was just what he wore. And then they because it he got snapped submitting a ballot of course this light fluffy human interest story they try and ask him like how he's politically aligned and he described himself as politically aware he said he paid attention but added that politics was mostly total bullshit <laughs> then he said i tried to think for who i think once they elected will do the less harm maybe i think i will start my own party Dimitri's cut the bullshit party which go. is amazing <laughs> but then in the same article there's a completely unrelated photo at the bottom of him in a hospital bed with two broken legs and all these other muscle men like standing over him comforting him and I was like hold on that photograph does not match this article at all and then there's this tiny little caption below it that says moscovich in bed made news last year after he took a tumble from a rope climb at ben buckland he broke both of his legs and for months you could see him being pushed or pushing himself around the bondi outdoor gym in a wheelchair so i found this article and it's titled bondi rope climber was looking at topless girl before he broke both legs in four. Uh, <laughs> come on dimmy <laughs> yeah come so on, says, a sunbaking topless babe cost bondi rope climber dmitry moskovich two broken legs the tan 48 year old russian bondi local was the picture of strength as he lay in his saint Vis vincent's hospital bed surrounded by friends 
And then the quote is, I was looking at a very nice topless girl and I forgot what I was there for. And the next thing, my legs were completely smashed. So, like, <laughs> he fell seven meters. Like, what was he doing? How it was ro- uh, Yeah, so he was known as, like, he climbs with, like, groups of people, like, rope climbing. So he's very athletic. Uh, and he, he had to endure seven hours worth of surgery to treat 20 fractures in the lower half of Man. both of his legs. And then he said, the moment I looked, I'm a professional. I knew straight away I had no spine problems. But then I looked at my <laughs> legs and I knew I was fucked. I, I'm uh, getting mixed messages about his... Uh, Aspirations to politics and his need for politicians to do no harm. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> it doesn't include himself, I guess. No. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's yeah, yeah. probably then, just in, enforcing the decency law on there, making sure the bikinis were all. <laughs> yeah, he had his tape measure, and but then he made he made the news again in 2020 when he was arrested for allegedly breaching COVID restrictions by going for a swim in the uh, ocean. This and is it, why I remember him. I, I remember this happening. Yeah. Seeing the photos. And so what I learned was that he used to go, obviously he's at that North uh, Bondi outdoor gym and the locals, uh, you know, associate it with him so much that that whole area is just referred to as Dimmy's office. And, uh, but so apparently he enters a fenced off area and two police officers found him, pounce, pin him to the ground, handcuff him. He protests against it. He's... Every, people are filming it because they're like, holy shit, Mr. Bondi is getting arrested. And uh, he's saying he d- didn't do anything wrong. He was unfairly targeted. And the police charged him with a resisting arrest because of this. But in 2021, happy ending, he got a bit of revenge. The police had to withdraw all charges and pay $25,000 worth of legal costs against what? him for wrongfully arresting him. Because it, was it wasn't illegal to swim? Yeah, because he was just outside having a little swim in his like local area. It's crazy that Bondi has been this weird thing about lockdown. Because like, it started because of the Bondi limo driver. Yeah. Which, you know, which I don't know if you guys know about him, but he, uh, he, was, he was a limo driver. lived in Bondi, but he was, uh, you know, he was, tra- he was transporting around the, these FedEx flight crew from America. And uh, he wasn't vaccinated because his doctor advised him not to get AstraZeneca uh, <laughs> and to wait. And it's like, you can, you can wait. You're only transporting flight crews from America. And so he was scooting around Bondi, uh, Westfield and, and, the, and cafes and stuff. And then he tested positive and then it just exploded. And now Bondi's this whole thing where every time anyone wants to see how the lockdown's going, let's look at Bondi and see everyone walking around there like... It's just this weird epicenter where it started, but also, you know, yeah, it's become goes a weird focus it. point of like yeah. this like morality test of all of Sydney. Like, are people on the beach at Bondi, even though they're apart, everyone loses like has just has a meltdown because, it, yeah, it just seems it seems so. I don't, I don't, I'm not surprised Mr. Bondi couldn't help himself one day and went out for a fucking dip. Which, <laughs> yeah. uh, well, that that uh, Mr. Bondi guy, there was a post of his where he he put the photo up of himself getting arrested with this, you know, being like, this is our police, you know, arresting innocent people, blah, blah, blah. And, but one of the comments cracked me up. Um, so one of his mates comments, um, Dimmer, you slipping, bro. I only counted six cops in the photo. Back in the day, surely it would have required double digits. <laughs> <laughs> Do you guys know about, it's making me think of the, these, those local characters. Do you know, um, do, do you guys remember the Bondi witch? No. no. There was a no. woman... This was, like, long before 
every influencer had like a personal brand yeah. that they were like stayed in character 24 hours a day. But there was a, a larger woman and I think there was a documentary came out about her, but she'd be always waiting for the bus and she dressed in black head to toe. Yeah. And she was, um, yeah, she was a, the local occultist. Oh. Um, that was like a late eighties, early nineties thing. But yeah, like that, crazy. I mean, areas really thrive. I, I find those characters like super endearing, and yeah, you yeah. you wonder if gentrification sort of drives really kooky people, yeah, out. You know, oh, absolutely. Like they're, they're not. I mean, I'm assuming Bondi Witch and Mister Bondi don't have investment properties. You know, like they're they're if you drive them out of their house, they'll leave in the area, right? Like that. I feel like you you really lose those characters if you. If you uh, if the price goes up a lot and but it every like there's always any suburb that's got a big enough name for itself there's a Mister or Mrs. Inset suburb name you know and yeah. they're always going to be a kook or a bit of an interesting person. Did you remember like was did you there, have run-ins with uh, yeah. the, the witch? No, I was just always on the way to school like trying to go. There's the Bondi witch. There's the Bondi witch. Um, <laughs> and it was like so. Yeah, it was just endearing. Again, it's like, I think the way that these... I'm actually not one of those people who's super nostalgic for periods in, like, neighborhoods and stuff because yep. I think part of what makes life in community dynamic is that kind of hotbeds of creativity and chaos continue to move around. Because, mm-hmm. um, you know, I lived... You know, I lived in New York and I've lived in LA and the, the, all there's constantly, like... They always say in real estate, I think, like, follow where the artists live because that's where, like, younger people that don't have a huge amount of money but need to, um, you know, need to support themselves and live together in how that's that's always where they go. And and that that by necessity has to continue to move around. But so I kind of like it's weird. Like, on one hand, you can sort of mourn the loss of these uh, you'd call them simpler or more dangerous times. Um, But. Mm. It's kind of like, it's kind of a beautiful thing, like how out of control that is, the way dynamism in different yeah. suburbs and stuff moves, you know? Mm. When you, um, so you would have left Bondi when you, you know, obviously became pretty famous as a young age, I guess. Do, do you, is there anything you realized about Bondi after you left that you sort of didn't appreciate or anything that you, you know, could see it had that you maybe weren't didn't see wherever you'd moved to whether it was new york la or somewhere else yeah i mean i just think that like as much as there's like if you look at a lot of other major beaches that are like famous around the world like um you know in rio de janeiro or miami or you know Mm -hmm. the Mm -hmm. the level of development that occurs like basically on the sand yeah is pretty it's pretty overwhelming like that happens everywhere in the world and the fact that they've the fact that they're like the pavilion still exists Mm. as like a not hugely money generating entity and that there's enough support from the community to want to keep a space like that and even just like the kids pool on the um in north bondi you know that's like Mm. you know those baby pools where like like there's a there's sort of a raw element to it that has been protected despite the area becoming gentrified and real estate prices going up so much and, you know, it becoming, 
you know, it is a pretty, it's sort of more of a playground for rich kids when you actually look around who can afford to live in Bondi now. Yeah. Mm. Um, but they've managed not to like let that encroach upon the nature too much, which is pretty. Yeah. Funny. Well, that's the good thing about the beaches. By and large, we don't stop you going to the beach even if you don't live there. So it yeah. sort of sucks if people are driven out from a, I live on the beach point of view. Um, but you ultimately, no matter where you live in Sydney, you can get to those beaches and have as much fun as you want. So I think that's obviously something else. Um, yeah. Yeah. I, I did find, um, I don't know, growing up there, if you, I think you said, uh, you know, like you said, you've got to, you know, your um, kids are sort of getting that age where you start to really worry about them and stuff like that. But the, there was a pretty famous murder in Bondi in the 60s, which changed australia in terms of it was sort of the end of australian innocence i don't know if you guys know about the the murder of graham thorne but it's quite weird time that basically what was what happened was the opera house was being built so they ran out of money to build the opera house so they decided to come up with a lottery scheme which is quite weird that they were effectively running a raffle to to build the uh (laughs) the opera house is like a fucking you know your local footy club or whatever but they had a lottery scheme and and uh, this guy won, this guy Basil Thorne won 100,000 pounds, which is about 3 million bucks today. And they had no concept of privacy back then. So they literally put Basil Thorne's photo on the front page and his address. Ugh. And they're oh, like, this guy won help. 3 million pounds or 3 million, you know, 100,000 pounds. And they did it from a, because they didn't want it, they wanted to be transparent. So they're like, we want to make sure people know people are actually winning this money. This is Basil, he won. And then, a couple of weeks later, his son gets kidnapped and Ugh. gets, you know, it's pretty grim, but basically his son's killed. They find the body. They, there's this whole thing about, uh, basically, it's the first time ever forensic science is really used to, this is what they had on this guy. They found that the body, they, 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 they found there was some pink mortar near the body, some leaves from a cypress tree, and basically something else about some sort of blanket and using that they put out an alert said does anyone know any house in this area like four suburbs across that has pink mortar and there's a cypress tree in the backyard and a postman a postman went this house over here has that and they went and found the guy and he'd already left us but it was him it was the craziest like forensic thing about yeah 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 so they they got this guy and and, uh, and in the end, it was sort of like a, a watershed moment for forensic science in Australia. But this is the craziest thing about it is, at before then, this is 1960, so not that long ago, kidnapping wasn't even illegal. It wasn't a, a law. They had no concept of kidnapping. Australia thought it was an American thing, like kidnapping for right. ransom. So it, it, they couldn't. Even, they could charge this guy because the the, the there was a murder but like if you kidnap someone for ransom there was nothing to charge them with that's how innocent australia was was that we didn't even think kidnapping would be anything and it sort of changed everyone's mind about like parents were like oh we're not safe here like that that was that big like don't leave your kids alone sort of thing yeah and so that changed everything and then they obviously had to quickly rush and put kidnapping on the books as a law and you know forensic science and all that sort of sort of change but that happened uh that happened in bondi and yeah, so there you go. Was that the one? Oh, was sorry. that the? Was that the case where at the trial, the woman screamed out, "Feed him to the sharks at Bondi." Yeah, well, that's what. That's exactly what. Um, 
the ransom I, was the ransom was you know give me 25 grand or i'll feed your the boy to yeah the right yeah, and yeah. then so at the trial um famously when he's getting dragged away this woman yelled out feed him to the sharks at bondi you know like he'd threatened to do to the kid and that woman uh was b miles who and you mentioned you know the, the witch of bondi and just mm. these local eccentrics she was like sydney's most eccentric bohemian woman she was like this very um very intelligent and well-educated woman who's just sort of lived this bohemian lifestyle and you know she was sent in the i think the 20s she was sent to a, a um like a mental asylum basically by a dad who just disapproved of her um bohemian lifestyle but she was this like very voracious reader she was apparently read two books a day and um she was quite a big woman and she would walk around the streets of sydney and she'd have a sign saying like i can quote from memory any passage of shakespeare if you give me six shillings or whatever it was that was one of her <laughs> big tricks and um she'd she her most notorious escapades this is just a little thing i found from her biography um so she was famous for her um her run-ins with taxi drivers oh, and I got a like that she <laughs> <laughs> i think we all have mates like that yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. um she she would regularly refuse to pay fares. Yep, that's it. <laughs> this is all coming back to you, Al. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but have a go at this. Uh, she would refuse... So drivers would refuse to pick her up because eventually they were like, we know B, she doesn't pay, we're not going to pick her up. trying to pay in Shakespeare quotes. They're like, I don't, <laughs> yeah, I don't really remember yeah, exactly. like that. Yeah. But um, occasionally a driver would refuse to pick her up and she would retaliate against their cars. Uh, on more than one occasion, ripping a door off the hinges. What? Wow, that's she, pretty superhuman. I know. She would just like rip the doors off the hinges. She was also Bondi's my... first ice addict. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> it sounds that way. Like a... um, oh, Lord. But like famously, her um, in 1955, she took a taxi from Sydney to Perth. No way. And and then and then I'd want back. a down payment on her before I took that fare. <laughs> like you now, you promise this yeah. time you're going to hundred dollars flat fee up top, please. Oh um, my lord! So that was that was a six hundred pound fare, and she did pay that one. What six hundred pounds to drive? Oh, six hundred pounds. I, I mean, back then that would have been fuck the equivalent of I got, tens I'd of thousands, still, right? I don't know. Anyway, yeah. And then on Christmas Day. 1956 she interrupted a taxi driver's festive dinner to demand he drive her to broken hill via melbourne <laughs> so, scenic. scenic yeah yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> not the most efficient route why is she buying a car with this money every time she tries to get in the driver's side the door just flies off its hinges well how about this that that trip from to broken hill was 73 pounds so i don't know how cheap taxes were back then but Jesus Christ, that's not too bad. Yeah. Oh man. I, hey, you uh, know it's yeah. you know it's another cool piece of um Bondi history that no one ever I never heard anyone else mention. It's almost like I hallucinated it and was the only <laughs> one there. But there was a massive concert on the beach. Um in maybe nineteen ninety or something like that. Mm. And it was called Turn Back the Tide. And it was a anti pollution like something i don't know what, what they were tending to do what, it, what exactly the cause was but it was like it was massive it was like john farnham jimmy barnes dragon 
Um, wow. Like, like everyone played it. It was Midnight really, Angry Oil. Anderson, Midnight Oil. Like everyone was there. I'm looking yeah, yeah, at yeah. it now. 200,000 oh, people. Wow. How many people? 200,000. 200, people. Unbelievable. It was, um, oh, it was yeah. such a big thing. And it's like, it's one of those ones that's a little bit lost to the dustbin of history. Like no one talks about yeah. that. It's like a big free concert on Bondi Beach. Wow. So it says here, untreated sewage and high levels of pollution had been recently detected off several Sydney beaches. Viruses causing meningitis and all sorts of high mercury discovered. So basically, I think it was a bunch of bad pollutionary news. And then people just cracked it and, and said, we've got to do something about this. So yeah, that's... I mean, that's so crazy. many of my childhood memories are connected to sewage. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. Australia's Woodstock, they called it at the time. Wow. I mean, that's that a bit of a stretch, but, you know. <laughs> <laughs> we always I mean, have to do look, that. We, look, I'd like it to be included in history, but let's not go too far. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's Australia's version. And we always have to fucking link it to some other bigger thing. Do you remember that that was... Oh, yeah, Do you remember man. that happening? Yeah. Okay, so so that was when my dad was on the council, right? So he said, look, I think I can get us uh, VIP tickets to it. Oh, and I was like, sick. hell yeah, I was already really into music. What year was it? Was uh, it 89. 89, right? So I was 11. Um, right. And, um, but but the, the tickets, the, the passes he got were like, uh, it was classic, like a VIP thing that was like, and my fantasies, it was going to be like me and Ivor Davies and John Farnham just having a chat. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah, but yeah, it was yeah. more like this like... So little... Ben, I hear you play guitar. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know? It was more like this little like holding pen next to where the artists were. But, right. but I spent the whole day leaning up against it with this piece of cardboard and just getting all the artists to sign it. And um, <laughs> I don't know where it is, but I, li- I have this great... Oh, somewhere I had this great. great autograph thing of like... Yeah, like all of them, like the guys from Dragon and Fun. That's incredible. incredible. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was there. I, I loved it. it. I loved it. That's um, that's pretty cool. I guess your dad being on the council, like, was was that the sort of thing that he would drag you along to stuff like that all the time, or you get into little things like that? That sounds like a real cool. Part. Oh, that was the biggest one. But there yeah, were like yeah. weird kinds of like perks that uh, you know came with it. That like um. You know, when my band started and we wanted to find gigs, we were 14 years old. And um, it's not easy to find a gig. And he said, well, look, Waverly Library is having a book sale and sausage sizzle. Would you like to play at it? And I was like, yes, we want a gig. We're going to rock out of the library. That's going to be. (laughs) But so funnily enough, like we just made a demo in my band and we sent it around all local labels. And... um, one of them, you know, that was based out of Waterfront Records, this new label called Fellaheen, when I called them and they liked the demo, uh, they said, do you have any gigs coming up? I said, yeah, we're actually playing at the Waverly Library Sausage Sizzle. <laughs> and um, they sent Steve Pav along, who was, you know, the sort of basically ended up like discovering me and like discovered like Wolf Mother and the Avalanches and all that. And he, okay. it was just our school friends sitting at this Sausage Sizzle and Steve Pav sitting in the middle. And then he came up to us after and he said, uh, do you want to support Sonic Youth? And, wow. um, and I was like, yeah. So the sausage, sausage Sizzle is, it's one of those things that's a bit of an underrated path to the top. 
Yeah. <laughs> but it's, but it's, it's proven. You know, we've got proof of concept. I'm wow. going to start hanging around at Sausage Sizzles now, just <laughs> telling a couple of jokes to outsiders. Just been like, yeah, <laughs> one day I'll be opening for the biggest comics on the planet. <laughs> <laughs> Sonic that's Youth um, at 14. Yeah. Well, you, did yeah, you say 14? Crazy. That would have been yeah. crazy. Yeah. But you wouldn't have appreciated that. Would you, did you realize how crazy that was at the time? Or was that just as a 14-year-old, you're like, that's what that's what happens, you know? Yeah. You know? Uh, well, it's a mixture. Like, if you're, I don't know where you, how you guys are with your career, but to me, it always felt like a matter of survival to, like, make something of myself, you know? Yeah. Like, yeah, in, right. And so, on one hand, you're aware when that that kind of thing happens because those are magical weird cosmic moments where you suddenly Mm. like your destiny starts unfolding and you're sort of aware that they're rare but you also are aware of how crucial it is that they happen and that you take advantage of them because you never know when those moments will open up again so you don't spend too long sitting around going well isn't this fabulous you know you're like (laughs) damn how do we get a lot better by next yeah. week yeah, <laughs> yeah. We, let's play yeah exactly so, I, think, I think for us a lot of our moments are in the rearview mirror just quiet <laughs> <laughs> I gotta stop turning around those sausage sizzle buttings gigs so I, uh, are you 14, sausage sizzle how many yeah, people so. would have been at that sausage sizzle oh it was probably like 12 or 15 of our um, year 7 friends and so and, then and, how and, yeah. soon after was the Sonic Youth gig uh, two weeks later and where was that? At Selena's, Coogee okay. Bay Hotel. Ah, oh, yeah. And sick. so we're that was there. we weren't announced, um, but we we just came. So there was like all the bands opening. I think like Crow and Disposable Heroes of Hypocrisy, which was Michael Franti's first band. Yeah, um, hip hop band. And then First and More came out and lowered the mic and got down on his knees and said. Ladies and gentlemen, this is the real Sonic Youth. And we came out and we'd never <laughs> plugged into big amps. Like yeah, we just oh had these shit. little practice amps. And yeah. I just remember the bass player, um, Daniel Kahn, he was, li- I mean, tiny guy, tiny guy. And he played just a note on his bass through Kim Gordon's rig. And we, we all just looked at each other absolutely terrified. Um, <laughs> Damn, yeah, that's but that was insane. Yeah, but that, that venue is also, I heard, being sold or developed into something so that that place is yeah, and could you? I think but you were we've done Selena's. They tried to put the comedy night in there a couple of times. Oh, really? Because there was yeah, it was in another yeah, yeah, room, yeah. and then they moved it to Selena's a little bit, and like. A lot of people used to go to that Coogee comedy night, but not enough to fit in Selena's. When you went in there, you yeah, became very aware of how fucking huge it was. Yeah, I think like there might still hundred people. Or yeah, oh, I think there might still be Sonic Youth poster there somewhere on the yeah. wall. Because I remember being like, "Oh fuck, they've like." There's legit bands that have been here, and I'm about to come out and be like, "Yes, I've been gaining weight," <laughs> you know. Uh-huh. Like, <laughs> but you were a four, so 14, and you're in this band, and then all of a sudden, were you like instantly the the popular kid at school? Were you the cool guy with the band, or was it sort of still a bit like uh, you're a bit of a weird arty guy? I mean, in the middle of the pack. You know, it's like my interest was not in what was happening at school. So the way it affected my social dynamics at school were not what was at the forefront of my mind. I was like, I want to be a rock star. Yeah. So that's what I was thinking about. I was just thinking about, I'm still at school. What's going on? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Didn't you hear? I play the sausages. (laughs) Why do I have to sit a master? Did you, did you, how, how long or 
even was there a period where you were sort of bashing around Bondi playing like, you know, the, the youth center gigs and stuff? Yeah, yeah. Or- well, there was a thing called Blimp, the Bondi Live Youth Music Project. Mm-hmm. And it was, I'm sure that was like a local government initiative or something, but they would put on gigs. So there was like gigs out the front, like on sort of where the skate ramp is now. Um, Mm -hmm. on the grass there and I remember the bands they seemed so cool to me there was a band called Moisture Seeking Missiles um, which I didn't realise was a bit bit horny like for a youth concert but the the band that everyone loved that we idolised with this band called The Habit um, who were kind of like Jane's Addiction like Ilan Kidron who's still he's a great musician he's kicking around still and doing really cool stuff he, that was his band. He played the flute in it. And he was like um, sort of shamanic. Like he would like lose himself in it. And and I still remember their um, their songs because they were so dangerous and they wrote their own songs. Um, I remember they had this one song that went, If you want it, if you need it, if you want it, then take it. Take it, take oh, it, boy. take it, take it, take it. And I was like, it was like really what rock and roll was meant to be. Um, but at that gig in the Bondi Pavilion in the little theatre room, that was the first blimp gig I did with them. Our band actually got locked. We went into the storage room to warm up our voices or something or have a band mm. meeting because it was really loud. And we got locked in there. And <laughs> I, ab- everyone was laughing except me because I was like, you don't understand it. My entire future is dependent on getting out and go- going <laughs> yeah. up on the stage. And that type of certain type of anxiety that I remember in that room, like panic that I'm going to miss the boat, that mm. I've revisited that several times, shall we say. You know? <laughs> right. <laughs> God damn. So just, what yeah. do you, apart from the sausage sizzle, what, what do you think one of the, or two of the most memorable ones are for better or worse around Bondi that you played? Yeah, well, the, I mean, the last noise at a gig was amazing because we had Smudge play, who were like yep. my favourite Sydney band and girling. Um and that was really that was really great because we got to like, you know, that band. It was just I put it together with friends. It wasn't like okay, mm. who's the best bass player that I know? It was like who has a bass. Yeah, um, yeah. and that yeah, was how right. you put bands together as, as a teenager. So I kind of knew that there was no way that had real legs. Like at a certain mm, point, mm. once you turn eighteen, they, like that's cute when you're fourteen, fifteen, sixteen. Yeah, but by yeah. the time you get to eighteen, you finished high school, you're being judged against like. Silverchair were already popular and they could yeah. actually play and they could so yeah. so it was really nice to like really cap that experience and do like a final show where we advertised it and all of that. Yeah, right. And we had a sausage sizzle. It was like a uh-huh, little right. onion moment, you know, self-referential. <laughs> um, so that was really big for that's us. Cute. And um yeah, I don't I don't know. It was like all you know, just we were just kicked around Bondi. There was all kinds of yeah. weird little gigs happening. I think the the last, I, I know for me it was the last gig before this recent lockdown, but I think maybe ours as well was at uh, that Beach Road Hotel in oh, yeah. Bondi. Yeah, do you yeah. Remember, do you remember that night? One of the second or last one. Yeah, oh, about seven or eight drunk, very, very drunk women in the front row and falling yeah, off half, the chairs. Halfway literally. through my set, someone just literally tumbled backwards off their chair. <laughs> so <laughs> drunk. And, uh, but it was fun. That was a, That's a great room too. Good, good, good part. That... One of those pubs where we, when you do comedy events, sometimes comedy can be fun, but it's sometimes it can also be 
uh, it can ruin a night for people who just want to go and hang with yeah. friends, you know? And you yeah. walk into that pub and downstairs is heaving with all these people just having a blast and you're just like in your head thinking, I just fucking hope the comedy's not on here. I hope <laughs> we're not ruining their night with comedy, you know? Whereas music, I feel like it can add to it. Well, because uh, music can fade into the background. Comedy, yeah. Comedy's demanding in that sense that there's exactly. a presumption that people are going to pay attention. It, it, you have to judge it against yeah. your friendship, I guess. And and but it was one of those things where I'm looking in like, fuck these, all these people look like they're having the best time. We're gonna, but it was luckily it was upstairs and it was fine. But that there's a couple of cool little pubs. When 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 we're back, when we're allowed to, are you, is there any gigs that you would you love to do the Pavilion again or somewhere? Is there anywhere in Bondi you would love to perform or have uh, a show? can't say I've really I'm like oh just yearning to get another gig going at the pavilion but you know in a way it's like I mean it's always gonna be fun like I do hope there's yeah opportunities to to play down there in different weird ways or get up and do stuff because it's like you know you do have a feeling of like wherever your old stumping grounds are or where you sort yeah. of cut your teeth in a way it has a meaning to you you know yeah. what about you could start the Turn back the tide, twenty twenty one. Yeah, know? Another, there you another go. Bondi concert. Get let's, all the get the gang together. Tide is back into sewage. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's where Fun. my career started, and it's where it's going to end. <laughs> <laughs> Bring back the sewage. We need more. Oh, man. So, uh, James. Ben. So we have two more questions for you. The first is: if someone says, "Ben, I'm going to Bondi for a day. I don't know anything about it." Uh, I need an itinerary, something to do morning, afternoon, and night. What do I do? What do you tell them? Um, well, morning, you've got to, you know, a Bondi Cafe breakfast is pretty pretty legendary. You've mm-hmm. got to get that mm-hmm. somewhere with the stewed rhubarb. Yep. Um, you know, I feel like Bondi really got was ahead of the curb on the stewed rhubarb and on halloumi being on everything. Uh, yeah. Um, so you know, get a, a good good baked beans, fruit salad. I the love whole the thing. fucking yeah, the massive big eighteen ingredient brekkies. Love that it, great. love yeah. it. And then you know, gorgeous. Take take a walk along the cliffs, like that cliff walk to Bronte or something. Mm. And um, uh, you know, I don't. You got, so we got to plan this out like a whole day. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, take some heroin intravenously um, <laughs> on the sand and leave your needle as a little surprise. Spoking <laughs> um, up. No. Um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's all just like sitting on the sand and yeah, you know, yeah. losing track. I mean, the best is in the summer when you're like bumping into people you didn't expect to see down there. I mean, get a deep fried Mars bar and hot chips. That's some classic um. tourist. Uh, yes. Tourist fight. Maybe an Arvo round of golf, aim at the houses. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> See if you can frighten some aspiring young rockers. Um, uh, yeah, I don't know. What's and a night time? What's a, is there any night time? What's the pub that goes off at a night? Just Is it the... The razzle there. Oh wait, well, you got to, if you want to get fancy, the icebergs now is pretty pretty nice for a fancy little cocktail and expensive okay. yeah. meal. You know, cool, and cool, and cool. having a sauna. You know, post. You know, when everything opens up, the saunas actually at the icebergs are incredible because you're in there fully sweating and staring out at the ocean. Um, that and that's that's pretty amazing. Awesome. And, um, yeah, in the night times, I don't know. I guess just go <laughs> find a follow the backpackers. Flip over yeah. a bus, do something like that. <laughs> Rip the doors off a taxi. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the last question we have for you, Ben, is when all is said and done, you've achieved everything you've ever wanted to do, would you settle down in Bondi? Um, 
Yeah, you know, it's like when you're younger, you really want to be in the action. Yeah. And as you get older, you find yourself going, let me visit the action. Um, yeah. Yeah. So, so yeah, that that, <laughs> that ship may sail before my old age of needing to be absolutely in the center of um, all the excitement. But man, I always will go back and always got to keep reckoning with my Moby Dick, you know. Yeah, yeah. Of that's, that's, very, that's a very good, thoughtful answer. Yeah. And so, and well, obviously, Ben, thank you so much for coming on. Is yeah, there man, anything so coming up you'd like to plug? Yeah, sure. Um, I've got a single out. Uh, when's this coming out? Um, in two weeks time, I believe. Okay. So I've got a single out now called Born for This Bullshit, um, off an album that's coming out next year called I'm Fun. Great. And people can just find Sick. me on all my socials, Ben Lee Music. And, um, yeah. Wonderful. Awesome, man. Thank you so Thanks much. So Thank much. you guys for having me. Yeah. Right. And obviously absolutely. everyone, you can find us at Community Notice Board on your podcast apps. We have a YouTube channel called Community Notice Board as well. We also have all the social media stuff like Instagram and Facebook and Twitter. Please hit us up on there with any suggestions If you like the pod, ideas. yeah, leave us a review. Go check the back catalog if it's the first time listening. Um, we've got some great apps all over the world with suburbs and a lot of great guests. And yeah, thanks so much to everybody. Yeah. And thanks again, Ben. That was we'll great. See you cool. next thanks, week, guys. Everybody. Bye.